Well, I love many of the modern hymns, but a modern hymn writer can't write a hymn such as that. It's just remarkable, and maybe you jibbed at some of the sentiments there in the words. You don't quite understand what Wesley was writing about. God have mercy on us, because surely this is the normal Christian life it ought to be. And when we get to heaven, well, glory is beyond our imagination. But it ought to be growing uh, here and now. And it's in that area I'd like to uh, speak for a little while uh, this evening. Uh, we thought this morning about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and He's absolutely vital and essential work. None of us would be true believers here. We might be religious, we might be intellectually convinced of historical facts, but we wouldn't have been saved apart from the work of God the Holy Spirit. It's He who applies the merits of Jesus Christ to the inner man. He kills the old man and He brings the new man. He gives us new life. It's regeneration. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And once I'm alive spiritually, it seems the preacher's making sense at last. Maybe it took a period of time, but you were regenerated. It's an instantaneous, sovereign act of the Holy Spirit of God. And he blows through a congregation. He'll visit one and visit another. In times of revival, he visits many in the same service. He, he draws people in from there. They don't have to be in a service in times of revival. You've read the accounts. People just being drawn to church. Why? Well, they've been regenerated where they were and they know they've got to get to church. And they know that certain one has got a reputation they once despised, but now they know it's the place they need to go. And that's a sovereign act of the Spirit of God. And uh, regeneration, born again. Uh, we cry out to God then, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Repentance towards God, faith in Jesus Christ are the first fruits of a regenerated soul. And then we thought about the Spirit's work in our sanctification. We had nothing to do with our regeneration. That's a sovereign act of God. I had nothing to do with my physical birth. I had nothing to do with my spiritual rebirth. Sovereign act of God. But once I'm born again, then I start to cry out for God. And I have to feed on the Word of God. And I begin with milk and it's on to strong uh, meat feeding. And the Holy Spirit is active within the true regenerate uh, man, woman, child, young person. Can happen at any age. Again, the Spirit is, is sovereign here. I've been sharing some testimonies with some students this afternoon. Uh, when were you converted? I'm not sure. Not sure. Was it 17? Was it 18? But I, I knew at this certain point it became real to me, and then there's a young lady there, I think I was uh, around three years old, and uh, my mum's got it all written down. But once we're alive, we start to seek the Lord uh, for more and more of Him, and the Spirit's working in us, and now we cooperate with the work of the Spirit. So we put ourselves in the theatre of grace, and here we are in the theatre of grace tonight. It's here where He... Uh, takes that divine chisel and the Holy Spirit is working on you and me. You might not be aware anything's happening, but things are happening. Um, it helps if you are fully engaged. It certainly does. Again, to be on the edge of my seat, 
And it's a prayer I often pray when I sit down to listen to a sermon. Lord, speak to me. Am I on the spiritual edge of my seat tonight? I mean, as a, as a preacher, I've got some sort of notes here, a bit jumbled this evening because it's sort of the end of a, a, a sermon and uh, I didn't finish what I wanted to say this, the, the, this morning in its entirety and there's things to fill in and other things to go on to. But I'm wondering what God is going to say. And I, We all listen to the word together. Preachers, we're under the same word. And God speaks to the preachers, he's preaching the message, speak, I pray thee, gentle Jesus. So are we fully engaged? What has the Lord got to say to me? So we thought about those areas this morning. Uh, regeneration, sanctification, works of God the Holy Spirit. And I mentioned that question asked to me this morning by a, a lady in our church about 10 years ago. Why don't you preach more on the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit, we emphasize this this morning, it's his delight to be in the background. If a man, a woman, a supposedly converted person is always going on about, oh, God the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's something not quite right. Because we're told quite emphatically and clearly that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to magnify and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. So if somebody is truly spiritually alive and filled with the Holy Spirit, they want to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit enables them uh, to do exactly that. But now, I'd like us to move on to another work of the Holy Spirit. And here is something which it was prophesied that Jesus would do. And in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ does do. It is His Sovereign work. Nobody else can do this. We can read of it in Luke chapter 3 and verses 15 and 16. It's under the ministry of John the Baptist. We looked at this a few months ago as I'm going through Luke on a Sunday morning. So Luke 3 and verse 15 and 16. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's his unique work. Here we have a baptistry. Occasionally we fill it with water and people are baptised in water. It's a picture. It's a sign of a deep spiritual reality. But it's the Lord Jesus Christ alone who does the real work. Baptising in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And on the day of Pentecost, after the ascension, the Lord Jesus Christ prays the Father and the Holy Spirit is poured out in great profusion. And what mighty works are done on that particular day. Around, we're told, about 3,000 people were converted under the preaching of the gospel in the crowds in Jerusalem that particular day. And such was the transformation, their sanctification quickly became apparent. Uh, they joined themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, 
the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The Spirit is powerfully active in the world today. The Gospel is knowing great triumphs. Uh, we might think and pray, oh, why, why can't we see 3,000 converted today? There's very little doubt that many, many more than 3,000 have been converted today. When we take a world perspective and a world view, there are parts of the world where preaching is powerfully owned of God and multitudes are turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible it could happen here again. Of course it is. And here's the wonderful thing. We're able to ask. We can't make demands. But we can approach our Heavenly Father and we can ask Him. That regenerating work, that sanctifying work. But here's another work of God the Holy Spirit that transformed the Apostle Peter on this particular day from one who was uh, inside a building and likely the doors are locked for fears of the Jews. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out on that group of uh, believers. And notice this. I think Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 is, uh, is a really important verse. Let's just read it. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, the 120 in the upper room, were all with one accord in one place. You know, there was a wonderful unity amongst the people. They were all together. They were of one accord. They are in one place. And God pours out the Holy Spirit in great profusion. That unity. I think we can put ourselves in the way of blessings such as this. That's why I read Psalm 133. It's a powerful psalm. It ends with a place and a situation where God commands his blessing. And we're told what the blessing is. Life. Life. Eternal life. Even life forevermore. What's a prerequisite? Now, we can't demand, but we can put ourselves in the way of such blessing. How good. How pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. On the day of Pentecost, they're all of one accord and in one place. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, we are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're brothers and sisters, we have a true experience of grace. We really are. But it's more than just that. It's something we work on together. Uh, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, urging the Ephesians, to maintain what we have. Uh, display and manifest that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We were thinking in the Bible study a couple of weeks ago about being peacemakers. Not being potholes for others to fall down. And because there are potholes in the road, check, check your spiritual shock absorbers. Or are you one who will take offence at the, the smallest thing? The Lord is displeased. Oh, he having done so much for us, can we not strive to love one another deeply from the heart? It'll only happen as we focus on the main things. And the main things are the plain things. 
And what really matters here is the triune God in glorious splendor, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The dear person of the Lord Jesus Christ who left the glory of heaven and came to this world to do one essential thing. He'd done many things from heaven and being here as God manifest in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, he continued to do such things as heal and teach. But he only come to do essentially one thing and that's to take away our sin that would have sunk us to hell. We'd still have religion. We'd have intellectual assent but we wouldn't have reality. But Jesus came. He really did. And He lived and He died and He rose again. And that's really all that matters to me. I refuse to get into arguments about secondary things. What do you think about this? I just refuse. I'm not interested. Others can take up the, uh, the reins of that and get involved in debates. I just will not do it anymore. There's only one thing. We sang it this morning. What was it? My faith has found a resting place. Now there is a place for confessions and creeds. But I'll not glory in those. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. And can you say this with me? <laughs> and that he died for me? That's all that matters. And if that's happened to you, what would it matter what colour the door is or whether we take a pew out? Or, you know, people get really upset about these things. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. You can grieve him. You can grieve him. It's like a dove. And in this, this special work, we have regeneration. We have sanctification. But he can come and give Something which we desire, that's a deep assurance that emboldens us and empowers us in our personal witness and in our witness as a church. And it ought to be a real focus in our prayer meetings that God the Holy Spirit would be powerfully working in our midst to give us that deep assurance that transforms our lives. What did it do to Peter? It took him out of the room and onto the street. Now, the different ways that it's manifest in different uh, revivals. Now, when this happens again in the history of a, a, a town or a village or a church or a, a eventually a nation, different manifestations. It's not repeated in the same way, but it's the same spirit. Uh, who comes in great power. I'm reminded of, um, you probably know it well, I probably said it here, um, a revival in the Highlands and Islands under Duncan Campbell. Now you can still hear Duncan Campbell online. Go to Sermon Audio, it's a nice little app, and you press the app and you can go to, just type in Duncan Campbell, you'll have a list of his recordings. They're a bit grainy now, it's on the, the old reel-to-reels, and he's got quite a thick Highland accent, but uh, you soon get used to it. There was a little area in the Highlands, and there were two elderly ladies, and this is quite often how revivals and these outpourings of the Holy Spirit, where believers get this deep assurance and power in witness, and preachers are, are transformed, so often traced back to prayer meetings. It doesn't have to be a big one, but a sincere one. 
This church had been reduced to two elderly ladies who were determined to pray. And it was laid on their hearts that a well-known evangelist, Duncan Campbell, would conduct a mission in their town. But Duncan Campbell was engaged somewhere else. But they wrote to Duncan Campbell, we expect you here. And he wrote back, well, don't bother expecting because I'm somewhere else. They wrote back, we will be expecting you. I think I'm getting it roughly right. You have to read the account. It transpired that the work that Campbell was doing in this other area came to an end unexpectedly, and he found himself free. So he went to the town and conducted a series of meetings. It was tough going. There was not much response. So the deacons decided, let's call a prayer meeting. So they did. It might have started at 7.30. Maybe there was some, as we, I mean, our prayer meeting. Here it is. Come along. It's there. It's, what we, it's all we have at the moment. It's our only hope. Strengthen its arms. Come along. We do a Bible study most weeks that lasts till about quarter past eight, and the pastor will give us items for prayer, and we get down to business about 20 past eight, and we spend a good 40 minutes in prayer, and recently there's been a lovely spirit and many things have been prayed for. But this prayer meeting didn't end at nine o'clock. It was tough going, but they carried on. And uh, Campbell records, I think it's the Price and Power Re Revival, little book that I'm thinking of, but it's in quite a few accounts as well. Duncan Campbell says, I turned to a young deacon and asked him if he would pray. It's about midnight now. And uh, he says, the young man, uh, he prayed such a prayer we hadn't heard that particular evening. I can't remember the details, but the young man was saying how thirsty he was for a manifestation of the right hand of God. He said, my heart is poor. And um, he said, you could verify this because there are people still alive. Don't know if they're still alive now. The building shook. We read about something similar in Acts chapter 4. They prayed. In Acts chapter 4, the whole building shook. And Campbell says it happened. Uh, plates were, were rattling. And one deacon said, Mr. Campbell, an earthquake. Might have been. But God transformed everything. Now here's the interesting thing. The work of the Spirit in regeneration... The Spirit visited various homes in the village at midnight and regenerated people and they were alive to their need. And they knew about the mission taking place in the chapel. So they went to the chapel and Campbell and the congregation went down, just a small group of them in the prayer meeting and there were people pressing to come in to the chapel. God doing remarkable works. Now, is it possible? Could it happen here? People then being emboldened to speak to their neighbours and relatives and friends and to ask people in. But the people were pressing to come in uninvited on this uh, occasion. What a wonderful work. What a wonderful work took place there. There are so many accounts. It seems that the common features are there's a deep, direct assurance of salvation given to the believer. 
There is accompanying that, because of this assurance, uh, it seems a power then in witnessing and a boldness to witness. And when a preacher has this particular blessing upon him, power in the preaching. Assurance. He is, um, this hymn we were singing, as you sang it through, probably things struck you as they struck me. Verse 2 of uh, Wesley's hymn here. If I have only known thy fear and followed with a heart sincere. He is a believer. He's sincere. He's regenerate. At thy drawings from above, now, now, the further grace bestow and let my sprinkled conscience know thy sweet forgiving love. That reality. Now, are you sure you're a believer? I don't want to give anybody any doubts here this evening, but I experience doubts myself. And when I do, I, I go through a checklist. Um, most wonderful level of assurance, the most foundational, the most solid, is the Word of God. It is written. And we're going through uh, the Lord's uh, encounter with uh, the devil in the wilderness at, at the moment on Sunday mornings and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is using the word of God, if you are the Son of God, the very insinuation from the devil of hell. How do we answer? It, it is written. So for me, wonderful verses. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. I, I take the promises of God's word. I'm standing on the promises of Christ my King. It's that wonderful level of foundation, believing the promises of God in his word. But I, I, I know I'm a Christian there by inference. I deduce it from the word of God. The next level is, again, a good level of assurance. And it builds on the word of God. Have I changed? Now, I was converted at the age of 19. I do often pause and ponder and give thanks to God because I wonder this. There's an old little chorus we used to sing in the Christian unions back in the 70s. He brought me in. He brought me in. Oh, I thank God he brought me in. When I look out yonder, where I might have been, I just won't argue about silly little things because I thank God he brought me in. Where would, I, where would you be today? What a wonderful change. Now, it's not always on the up. There are struggles. There's times of backsliding. I hope they're not deep ones. But generally, it's onwards and upwards for it's the Holy Spirit working in me to form that image of Christ uh, within me. That's another lovely level of assurance, the change that's come about in our lives. Well, again, it's by deduction and inference. But this here, what happened on the day of Pentecost, what happened in Acts chapter 4, what happened in the highlands and islands, what can be repeated as you read the histories of revivals, is something not deduced and indirect, but a direct witness from above and a powerful work of God, the Holy Spirit. It's not wrong to make those deductions and those inferences and they're there for us to use and to enjoy. 
If you're going through periods of doubt, then you can hang on the promises of God, look into his word, and also see what a wonderful change he's brought about. And maybe if there's still a mess in your life, there's a change in your disposition. And that very fact you want to be good is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And he's wrought by the Spirit of God. But here, and Paul writes about it in uh, Romans chapter 8. Let me read from verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's lovely. But then verse 16. Notice the direct nature of this. It's irrefutable. The Spirit, capital S, translators have put that in, fits well though the context. So reference the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Something direct, something manifest by the Holy Spirit himself. Witnessing with my spirit. Tell me thou art mine, O Saviour. Grant me an assurance clear. Banish all my dark misgivings. Still my doubting. Calm my fear. All my soul within me yearneth now to hear. Thy voice divine. Social grief be gone forever. And despair no more be mine. Now we can't guarantee that. We can guarantee the word. We know that he's worked in our lives. If we are alive, he's working in our lives. They're wonderful levels of assurance and they're the rock bed of our assurance. But there are times when he comes himself. And I think there's a wonderful, wonderful truth to hang on to here. I don't know what the future holds for me. But many go through an illness called dementia where it seems that the faculties of the soul are breaking down. And you wonder, have we lost that person? It said, oh, it seems we've lost that person now. God hasn't. His spirit (laughs) works in another dimension. I just hang on to a verse like this. His spirit, witnessing with that dear person's spirit. He can't communicate anymore. The faculties have dissolved. They're still alive. God is able to speak. And he speaks to the inner man. His spirit witnessing with our spirits. Or never despair of the grace, the compassion, the mercy of God. That direct witness and assurance. Giving us power in witnessing and power in preaching. There are so many examples Read about them for yourself. I mean, I I could recommend. See, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, it would be wonderful if he was still alive because we'd be able to have him here and interview him and he'd correct our wrong thinking about what we think he was saying. But he's not here, so all we have is a written record of many of his sermons and messages. Now, when he came to Luke chapter 3 and verse 15 and 16... He preached 30 sermons on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I preached one on that verse, and I'm elaborating a little bit on that here tonight. There is another work of God the Holy 
Spirit. And so I'd recommend to you, I mean, I've got the full Underbridge One volume version, Joy Unspeakable, but um, it's in two volumes, I think, uh, currently. But a very helpful book to read through. Also, Lloyd-Jones on, the, on Romans 5 and Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, in particular, the seal of the Spirit. But lots of the things that they speak about are way back, beyond any living memory. So I'm very thankful to have come across this book. I missed the launch. It's called A Breeze from Heaven, Stories from Welsh Communities. Now here's the encouraging thing, 1940s. Anybody alive here in the 1940s? Don't want to look too... Per- oh, we got a nod. How about 1980s? Okay, now, I'm, I'm sur- I was in my 20s in the 1980s, so I'm, I'm well accessible. Now, Errol Davis has written this helpful book about things that God was doing in Wales. You wouldn't quite call it revival, but it's a thrilling read about a breeze that blew through so many churches throughout Wales, the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. He gives some general principles, and then he gives some particular case studies. And I'd recommend you get this. I've been thrilled to read through it. They're not long chapters. Cup of coffee, sit down and read, and see what God can do. And then, here's the thing, you could probably go and meet some of these people. And I'm looking forward to having a chat with some of these people. See, are these things, did these things really happen? I don't doubt you, Dr. Davis, at all, but it'd be good to talk to these people about remarkable things that happened in dear little churches around Wales. The people are still around. And you youngsters, make it your, one of your ambitions to sit down and talk with them. Don't just mix with the, and you don't, you're very good at this actually, our young people, you do mix pretty well, but there's a lot to learn. And give another 20 or 30 years, and those who are in their 20s and 1980s won't be here. All right? Now, speak with the, get, get the book, have a look at really the things that are possible. See what God can do. So let me draw to a conclusion. What do we do? That work of the Holy Spirit. Well, listen, my friends, if you're not saved, anybody here not converted, you don't know you're going to heaven. I, 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 I wonder why not. You've heard such wonderful truths here. You, you youngsters, are you saved? You, your parents are praying for you. You need to be born again. And I told you about a young girl, age three. Anybody younger than three here this evening? I'm looking around. Anybody younger than three? I might excuse you if you're younger than three. You might have to wait till you're... Actually, you don't. If you can understand that Jesus Christ died for your sin. Little child, you need to repent and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Older person, are you in your 60s? You still haven't been saved. Why not? The door is open. The work is finished. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Can you say he died for you? Trust him. Trust him tonight. Oh, it would be lovely to have people coming into the little room saying, 
I'm upset about the color of the doors. Rather than that, I want to be saved. Oh, that's worthwhile going in there. Don't come and talk to me about the doors. If you want to be saved, how marvelous, how wonderful. But maybe we are saved, and for the majority of us here, we are, we are saved. Let's press on. Let's press on. Oh, let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God the Spirit who works in us to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Let's put ourselves under the means of grace. He hasn't given much for us. And let me highlight again the prayer meeting where reasons have become excuses for missing out. If you can't make it for 7.30, come at quarter past eight. Be great to the doors opening, quarter past eight, and those coming in. I've just finished work. Lovely to see you, brother. Great to see you, sister. If you can't make either 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning to gather together to pray, because it's our only hope. It's the only hope for a dying world around and about us. And as I've spoken on this other work, it, it is wonderful. Now, we can't demand this, but we can ask, and again, ask it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door shall be opened to you. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask Him? To God be the glory. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank You for this brief time again. Almost divine ramblings, but the truth is there. Thinking of Pentecost, Act 2, Acts 4, repeated, the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ, the teaching of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, that direct work, His Spirit witnessing with ours, not by inference, direct, oh God. Help us to seek these things. Equip us to serve you in this day and generation in which you have placed us. We're praying again for times of refreshing that breeze from heaven, that wonderful work from heaven. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen. Well, what did I choose to finish with? I think it's another Wesley hymn. Yes. Another Wesley him born again in the 18th century revival time. Thou shepherd of Israel and mine, thou the joy and desire of my heart. Is this true of us? For closer communion I pine. I long to reside where thou art. Let's stand and sing worshipfully together.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.